You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. If you take your Bible and look with me, if you would, at 2 Samuel chapter 18 this morning. We've been following the life of David. This section now comes fast and furious. We'll describe the battle that takes place and so much happening. So pay attention as we begin chapter 18, beginning at verse number 1. David numbered the people that were with him and set captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. And David sent forth the third part of the people under the hand of Joab and a third part under the hand of Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, and a third part under the hand of Itai, the Gittite. And the king said to the people, I will surely go forth with you myself also. The people answered, Thou shalt not go forth, for if we flee away, they will not care for us. Neither if half of us die will they care for us. But now thou art worth 10,000 of us. Therefore now it is better that thou secure us out of the city. And the king said unto them, What seemeth you best, I will do. And the king stood by the gate side, and all the people came out by hundreds and by thousands. And the king commanded Joab and Abishai and Itai, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young man, even with Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captains charge concerning Absalom. So the people went out into the field against Israel, and the battle was in the wood of Ephraim, where the people of Israel were slain before the servants of David. And there was there a great slaughter, and that day 20,000 men. For the battle was there scattered over the face of the country, and the wood devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. And Absalom met the servants of David. And Absalom rode upon a mule, and the mule went under the thick bough of a great oak, and his head caught hold of the oak, and he was taken up between the heaven and the earth, and the mule that was under him went away. A certain man saw it and told Joab and said, Behold, I saw Absalom hanged in an oak. And Joab said unto the man that told him, And behold, thou sawest him, and why didst thou not Smite him there to the ground, and I would have given thee ten shekels of silver and a girdle. And the man said unto Joab, Though I should receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, yet would I not put forth my hand against the king's son, for in our hearing the king charged thee and Abishai and Itai, saying, Beware that none touch the young man Absalom. Otherwise I should have wrought falsehood against mine own life, For there is no matter hid from the king, and thou thyself would have set thyself against me. Then said Joab, I may not tarry with thee. He's tired. And he took their darts in his hand and thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. And ten young men that bear Joab's armor compassed about him, smote Absalom and slew him. Joab blew the trumpet, and the people returned from pursuing after Israel. For Joab held back the people, and they took Absalom and cast him into a great pit in the wood and laid a very great heap of stones upon him, and all Israel fled every one to his tent. Now for about the next ten verses, the battle is done. Ahimeaz, who is a servant of David, wants to go and give the good news to David. 
But, but Joab says, no, this is not a time for you to go with good news. I'm going to send another messenger, Cushai, instead. And so he sends Cushai, and Cushai goes to David, and Ahimehaz keeps on begging, let me go, let me go, let me go. And finally David says, okay, run. Go ahead and run. Just take off. And so he does. And in the course of his running, he overcomes the first messenger. So he's actually the first guy to approach David. We'll pick it up now in verse number 28. And Ahimehaz called and said unto the king, all is well. He fell down to the earth upon his face before the king and said, Blessed be the Lord thy God, which hath delivered up the men that lifted up their hand against my lord the king. And the king said, Is the young man Absalom safe? And Ahimeaz answered, When Joab sent the king's servant and he and, and me thy servant, I saw a great multitude, but I knew not what it was. And the king said unto him, Turn aside and stand there. And he turned aside and stood still. And behold, Cushai came, and Cushai said, Tidings, my lord the king, for the Lord hath avenged thee this day of all them that rose up against thee. And the king said unto Cushai, Is the young man Absalom safe? And Cushai answered, The enemies of my lord the king and all that rise against thee to do thee hurt be as that young man is. And the king was much moved. And went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went thus, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And it was told Joab, Behold, the king weepeth and mourneth for Absalom. And the victory that day was turned into mourning unto all the people. For the people heard say that day how the king was grieved for his son. And the people get them by stealth that day into the city, as people being ashamed steal away when they flee in battle. But the king covered his face, and the king cried with a loud voice, O oh, my son Absalom, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And Joab came into the house to the king and said, Thou hast shamed this day the faces of thy servants, which this day have saved thy life and the lives of thy sons and of thy wives and of the lives of thy wives and the lives of thy concubines, in that thou lovest thine enemies and and hatest thy friends. For thou hast declared this day that thou regardest neither princes nor servants. For this day I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all we had died this day, then it had pleased thee well. Now therefore rise, go forth, and speak comfortably unto thy servants. For I swear by the Lord, if thou go not forth, there will not tarry one with thee this night. And that will be worse unto thee than all the evil that befell thee from thy youth until now. Then the king arose and sat in the gate. And they told unto all the people, saying, Behold, the king The king doth in the gate, and all the people came before the king, and Israel had fled every man to his tent. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, This is an interesting section full of irony, because what we expect to happen as this battle plays out is not what happens. Let me give you some examples this morning. First, you see David's unrealistic request is unheeded. David has fled for his life, and he fled from Absalom. And as his captains are going out, he says, listen, be gentle with the young man, for my sake, even Absalom. And it's as if David is perceiving him as a five-year-old boy. Absalom is not a five-year-old boy. 
He is at least 40 years old at this time. And David's attitude is that he would rather deal with his cancer with can, like candy. Be gentle with the young man. This is unrealistic. They're at war. And Joab is wise enough to perceive that what they need is surgery. And Joab nominates himself to be the surgeon. This is an unrealistic request and is unheeded. The king has commanded this and is completely ignored. The section is full of irony. Second, we see the poster boy trapped in a pit. You remember Absalom? We had a description of him. Every inch of him was perfect from the bottom to the top. This is Absalom. Beautiful. I can't believe it's butter. His long hair is flowing. He's got muscle upon muscle. He's good looking. We saw a picture of him a few weeks ago. We understand what he looks like, what he may have looked like. And here he is, now the great leader, the poster boy of Israel, the general, the commander of the army. And it says that he's on a mule, which in David's reign symbolized royalty. The king and his sons rode on mules. And he comes in contact with David's servants, and obviously he's scared to death. He flees, and as he rides away on the mule, looking behind him, as David's servants are are coming, he finds an oak tree with thick branches, and his head gets caught in the tree. And as his head is caught, the mule, which symbolizes royalty, runs away. And now he is suspended in heaven, between heaven and earth. This is the poster boy of Israel. Joab finds out. He takes three spears, sticks it into his chest while he's hanging there, and then ten young men finish Absalom off. And it's interesting, they say that they piled a heap of stones upon him. And what's interesting about that is that the poster boy, this beautiful rebel, is now covered with stones, which was a sign of being accursed. You remember, if you go through the Old Testament, Achan, his sin, and they killed him, and they piled a huge amount of stones. It happened again for the king of Ai. It means that you're accursed. And we need to keep this in mind as we go through the Old Testament. Many of these stories and these characters are a precursor of what's to come. And Absalom the rebel reminds every one of us this morning that every rebel who rebels against the king and his kingdom will be accursed. And their pride and their arrogancy will come to naught. It's ironic, the poster boy ends up in a pit. And then we have this story with with Joab sending out the messengers. He sends the first messenger, it's Ahimeaz. Ahimeaz was with David. He was the first one to warn David. He loved David, and he wanted to take this news to David. And, And Joab says, no, this is not good news. I'm sending Cushai. He can tell him. So Cushai takes off. And Ahimeaz just keeps on pestering, let me go, let me go. And finally he says, go. And we don't know the route that he took, but, but probably Cushai went through the woods and the forest. And, uh, Ahimeaz came up with a different route, but he gets there first, seconds before the other one. And when David asks him how the boy is doing, he doesn't have the heart to tell him the truth because he knew the truth. And Cushai comes, and the king says, how's, how's the, the young man? And Cushai says, would to God that all the enemies of the Lord are like that young man. And David is devastated. And then the last bit of irony we see in this story is the news of victory brings mourning. This should have been a day of great rejoicing. The enemy was vanquished. The threat was over. Um, They had been victorious, and yet David is inconsolable. He is weeping and mourning, and the troops return, and here, David lamenting the death of their mutual enemy. 
Instead of rejoicing, the troops come and sneak back into the city, embarrassed and ashamed. It's irony, deliberately contrary to what we expect. And so we see in this story David in this state, and, and, and I'm really concerned about his interaction with truth here and reality. Before this battle ever starts, he says, listen, be gentle with Absalom, that young man. Even in light of the fact that Absalom was a rebel against the kingdom, was a rebel against the Lord's anointed, and Absalom, his own son, wanted him dead. We say things sometimes where we say, I'm going to kill you. Right? We use that as a figure of speech. Maybe you shouldn't, but we do. I'm going to kill you. When Absalom said to David, I'm going to kill you, he meant, I'm going to kill you. K-I-L-L. He wanted him dead. And then David's troops went out and risked their lives for this mutual enemy. But instead, David ignored, pretended, and soft-pedaled the truth. The truth of his situation. And because of it, he put himself in a dangerous and destructive path. And by God's grace, he sends two messengers to David to wake him up and to shake him up. The first is Cushai. His, his report is raw and yet reality. For Cushai knows that for David to be delivered, Absalom must be destroyed. They can't mutually exist with one another. And it's raw. It's like, hey, the guy's dead, like all your enemies should be. And David is, is shaken out of this lack of reality. And then Joab comes, and his request or his speech is rough but required. It says, David, dry your eyes, quit whining, quit crying. You better go out and take care of those troops because if you don't repent, you will be ruined. And David needed a dose of truth to bring him back in touch with reality. In our world today, we have a problem with truth. Take your Bibles this morning, if you would, and look at Isaiah chapter 59, verse number 14 this morning. Isaiah 59, verse number 14. And look what it says. And judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off, for truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Yea, truth faileth. And we live in a world today where we have a problem with truth. In our culture today, people don't want truth. They want to say that there are no absolute truth, that your truth is fine and my truth is fine, and we can all have equal truth. The problem with that is this. It doesn't exist. There is real truth, and truth by its very nature is exclusive. If something is right, everything else is wrong. Period. And yet we live in a world where we believe that your truth is fine and my truth is fine, and that's not reality. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said. He said, there, is a dozen, there are a dozen views about everything until you know the answer. Then there is never more than one. That's truth. And we as a people this morning must be in touch with reality and with truth. Can I say to you this morning, we have absolute truth. We have it. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 16, I am the way and the truth. Jesus is truth. He goes on in John 17, verse 17, and he tells us 
glory, that prayer, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You say, what's the big deal? Maybe Jesus didn't get it right. Let me remind you of last week. The only man in human history who said, if I lay my life down, I will pick it up again, did it. And when he did, he validated everything he said about himself and every truth claim that he made. And Jesus says, I am the truth, the way, and God's word is true. And by God's grace, we must be a people who love God's truth. We have truth today. And in this church and in this place, we are going to strive to follow God's truth. We will not build the church on entertainment. We will not build the church on programs. We will not build the church on seeker-friendly services where where we're ashamed of the gospel, nor will we build the church on any type of New Age mysticism. We will build the church on the truth of Jesus Christ because it is all true. And this morning, what we proclaim is this, that God became flesh. He dwelt among us. He fulfilled the law of God. And then on the cross, he gave his life for your sins and mine. The wrath of God was poured down on his head, and he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He died, was buried, and rose again the third day, and he's alive today where he ever lives to make intercession for each and every one of his children, and he is coming again. And when he comes, he will split the eastern sky, and he will rule and reign. The saints will be glorified, his enemies will be crushed, and we will reign for him forever. And in light of this truth, our lives need to line up with the fact. That is the truth of the word of God. That is the reality of what we proclaim this morning. And may we not be as a backslider, who Billy Sunday said, loves the preaching that could not hit the side of a house, but be real disciples who delight in the truth, though it brings us to our knees. And so David had to be in touch with reality. Uh, In this story, I I hope you understand that we love truth, we want to proclaim truth, but I'm really concerned about David's total disregard of what's going on around him. He, He doesn't know the truth of his own son. He doesn't know the truth of his situation. He's about to lose his own life and the life of his kingdom, and yet, he's oblivious to that. And it really troubles me. But more so than what David is doing with being oblivious to truth, what troubles me more is this scenario is played out all the time in my own life. I don't know if you know this this morning, but I tend to be a passionate person. That may surprise some of you, all right? I'm very passionate. And, and I, I can talk, I can get, I can get, I can get you know, animated, I can use my hands. Sometimes I think I have Italian in me because I'm doing this. Yeah, hey, Johnny, right? I'm passionate. And I married a passionate woman. She's passionate. We, we, we love passionately and we, or I, hate passionately. Right? It's just my makeup. It's, my, it, it's how I am. And when you bring two passionate people together, believe it or not, they can have issues. Right? Issues. We were together a while back and just having a casual conversation. And in the midst of the conversation, Kim said something to me. I can't repeat it. Is that bad? And, um, but it was true. It was about something about me, how I respond to situations. And, and she did it in a nice, kind, 
gracious way. And yet when she did that, when she said that to me, um, I knew it was true, I knew it was right, and I was mad. I don't, I don't know about you, but there are times when I'm in an argument or a confrontation, and I don't want to be right, I just want to be mad. Right? And not only mad, I want to be mean. I mean, I want to be mean. I'm not looking for an answer. I'm not looking for an end. I want to make my point. I just want to be mean. Is it just me? Yeah, oh yeah, yes. It is not, Jeff. It's not just me. Deal with truth, brother. Um, And so I, I didn't care. So you know what I did as soon as she said that? I started to defend myself. I deflected, um, I denied, I diminished. I mean, I I did everything I could do to make myself look better with the truth that she just hit me with. And I didn't care. I I thought to myself, I can go a long way on this. I, I feel mean right now. I feel aggravated. I'm not looking for an end to this. And somewhere in the conversation, while we were talking, she looked over at me knowing that she told me the truth I didn't want to hear the truth, and I didn't want an end to this. And so she said, oh, I see. You're only taking compliments today. <laughs> Do you see what I have to live with? <laughs> and when she said it, honest, this is the honest truth. I was mad, I was irritated, I was defending myself, I was deflecting, you know, all those things. And when she said that, I laughed out loud. It just caught me. It's like, I laughed, and I could not quit laughing, and then she was mad. She said, what are you laughing about? It's like, no, no, you're absolutely right. In my life right now, I don't want to hear the truth. I'm just taking compliments, right? And it's a problem. In David's life, here he is. He's delusional right now. Be gentle with the young man. The young man wants to kill you and your family and your children and take over your kingdom. And then when he finds out the truth, he is inconsolable, not understanding that the situation he is in right now, if he doesn't get his act together, he will lose his kingdom. And Joab says, you think you've had trouble before this time. You're in for a nightmare, David. And too many times in our own lives, we, 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 we say we are people of truth and we love truth and we proclaim truth, but when the rubber meets the road and it's in our own life, we're only taking compliments. David didn't need a compliment. David needed the truth. And God, by his grace, sent him the truth. And so let me fill you in this morning as we bring this thing to a conclusion on the truth that David needed is the truth that we need and some, some observations about truth that I hope they've helped me. I, I hope they'll help you. Don't you want truth? I mean, do you want to live a lie? I mean, would, would you like to pretend that you're okay and then die someday and understand that you're not okay in front of God? It'd be a tragedy. And why would we want to live a life daily? We, we are broken people. We need truth. And so let me give you two observations about truth this morning. Number one. Truth may seem mean at first. It may seem mean at first. Now listen, truth without love is brutality. And, and, and listen to what I'm saying this morning. We should not be unnecessarily harsh. And I'm guilty of that. I have said things to people in the past 
that I can't believe they come back to church after I'm done with them. Honestly. Over 15 years, I've counseled people in my office, and after I was done, I thought, I'd never go back to that church. And they keep on coming back. I don't know what's wrong with them, right? But, but, and I've been guilty of that. That should not be the case. We should not be unnecessarily harsh or mean or unkind. And, and truth without love is brutality. It's just brutal. But listen to me. Love without truth is hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. It doesn't mean anything. And the fact is that the truth can seem mean at first. But ultimately, the truth is healing. Listen, would it have been better when Cushai shows up, if David says, listen to me, how is the, how is the young man? Is Absalom okay? And Cushai says, ah, oh. you know, he got a couple extra piercings, but I think he's going to be fine. Would that help David? Not at all, because that's not reality. What if Job would have said, oh, man, David, I know you're upset and you're really crying. I don't want to rock the boat. And so I'm not going to say anything to you while, while your troops are leaving and you're about to lose the kingdom. Certainly we recognize this morning that David needed to come back to reality and he needed the truth. And although it was rough and raw and it may have seemed harsh at the time, it's exactly what he needed. The truth can hurt. The truth can sting. You know why we're defensive when we hear it for the first time? Because it smarts. It hurts. Because we don't want to be exposed. We don't want to be vulnerable. And so we defend and deflect and all those things because the truth can seem mean, but it's necessary. There's an old story of Alexander White, one of the great Scottish preachers that I've been reading about, impressed with his life. But as a young man, he was in a, a threshing machine accident where it caught his arm. And the people of the village gathered together and said, listen, we must take him to a surgeon to amputate the arm. It was that bad. And an old, wise woman in the village um, examined his arm and said, no, 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 don't do that. I believe that the arm will be fine. And so Alexander White's mother left him there, did not take him. And two days later, the pain was so excruciating that she called back for this woman and said, listen, I'm really concerned. I think this arm has to go. And she examined the arm. And then she said this, I like the pain. I like the pain. His arm was healed. And she understood that pain is a component of healing. Can I tell you something this morning? Our first initial response with truth, sometimes it seems mean. Without the pain of that initial shock, there is no healing. None. So, number one, truth at first might seem mean. Now listen to me. Some of you are thinking, this is great. When I'm done here, I'm going to be just mean to everybody and tell them the truth. That's not what I said. I didn't say that. Some of you folks, you want to speak truth in someone's life that you have no investment in. And they don't believe that you love them. And they're not listening to you. And you're doing more damage. I'm talking about people we love and care for. Telling them the truth. Why? Because we want to kill them? Destroy them? No. Because we love them. And even in the pain, we know that pain is a component of healing. The point of healing. Truth sometimes at first seems mean. Number two, truth is the only way to mature. It's the only way to mature. Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, Paul is writing, and he's writing in the context of the church. And he's talking about the glory of the church, which, by the way, listen to me, there is 
no substantial growth for the believer outside of the church. The church is God's plan, God's program. I don't want to hear about, I go to the woods and I worship every week. You will not grow as a believer doing that. Or, I stay at home and listen to somebody on the radio and I'm good. You will not grow as a Christian like you should doing that. God has designed the body, the church. Why? Because you've got to deal with people. You've got to deal with people you don't like. People that you wouldn't associate with. People from the wrong side of the tracks that you've got to love. And so growth comes in this, and, and Paul is talking about the beauty of the church, the glory of the church, and how we grow in the church, and then he says this in chapter 4, verse number 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Paul says in the confines of the church, if we're going to grow up, we've got to speak the truth in love to one another. Why? Because we're all broken. We're all broken. None of us see it, the big picture. None of us do. We are broken and we are in need of grace. And so Paul says we must speak the truth to one another. And that's why we have to be transparent. Listen, quit the phoniness in church. Quit acting like everything is hunky-dory in your life. Christian people suffer. We have trouble. And because we're all broken, we can afford to let the guard down a little bit and be transparent and say, man, I am really struggling here without anyone turning their back so that we can speak truth into each other's lives in order that we can mature. I find it very interesting that that you and I We'll go before God and we'll say, God, I am a wretched, filthy, wicked sinner. Lord, you know my heart. You know my problems. God, I disappoint you. I can't believe you love me. And we go on and on until the first individual notices my wickedness and says something about it, and then I'm all bent out of shape because they just gave evidence of what I already know is true. Paul says we must speak the truth in love. There is no growth Without truth, without truth, we must correct, lovingly correct one another. You'll never grow up. You'll never grow up. I'll never grow up. What happens for most of us is we're confronted with the truth, whether in a sermon or a spouse or a spiritual friend, and we're just done. You will never grow up. Never. You'll never mature, and you'll forever be a child. Listen, babies are cute. I'm hearing them all over the place. And they're beautiful and they're wonderful and they're cute. But can I tell you something? If, if, if that little Michael there at 40 years old is still doing that stuff, something's wrong. Right? It's not cute anymore. There's a real problem. If, if that little Lachlan back there in Hudson and they're, they're 40 years from now, Justin's still holding him like that in the back row, something's not right. Something's not right. And for many of us, because we don't want to be exposed to truth, we will forever be children, spiritually and emotionally. We need to have the truth. It's God's design. It may come across mean, and we might think it causes pain, but the fact is we will never mature without it. And God, in his grace, gave David a gift to wake him up. And it came by way of Cushai and Joab, speaking truth. One more verse this morning, and we'll bring it to a close. Look at Proverbs chapter 20, 
7 this morning. Proverbs 27. And look, if you would, at verses 5 and 6. The writer of Proverbs says, Open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And for too many of us, we don't mind having the kisses of an enemy because they feel good. It makes us feel better about ourselves because we're only accepting compliments this day. But it's not reality. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Why? Because they love you enough to tell you the truth. And would to God this morning, we would be um, exposed, that we'd wake up, we'd understand reality, and we can start growing up and inviting truth into our life. We don't have to be babies. We can mature. And so this morning, don't lose touch with reality. Whether it's a sermon, a spouse, or a saint, understand this morning that pain is a component of healing. And without truth in our lives, we will forever be a baby, and we will never mature. And that way is destructive. And if David continued to live the life he was living, he would have lost his life, and he would have lost the kingdom. And this morning, what I'm saying to you is this. Human nature, it, it, it bristles at truth, especially when it nails us right between the eyes. But it is not to destroy us. It is to help us and to encourage us and strengthen us and to mature us. And would to God that we'd be a people who say, I love truth. And it hit me. It hit me square in the eyes, but I'm going to delight in it because I know God is at work. He's maturing me. He's growing me. And even though it smarts at times, I know he's healing me from within. Let's have a word of prayer this morning.